What's up, everyone? Anthony Heller here with Deer Vane, and this week we are talking to Chris Hood. Before we get to talking with Chris, though, there's two things I want to go over. First one is the Lone Wolf Custom Gear .5 tree stand giveaway, and the second one is just to announce our sponsors because I did forget to do that. And uh, if you're an avid listener of the show, you know that Onyx Maps is a phenomenal GPS mapping app. Um, great waypoint tool, great tracking tool, works online, offline. Uh, just a fantastic uh, piece of equipment or a piece of gear on your phone, a nice app that you can use in the field all the time. Second one, Vest Vector Custom Shop. If you need arrows next year, you weren't happy with the arrows, your performance of your arrows this year, check out Vector Custom Shop. They make some phenomenal errors. arrows. And last but not least, uh, Venado, Shop Venado. They are a outdoor apparel company. They make great shirts, great sweatshirts, uh, great concealed carry gear. It's Christmas time. You're looking for a great gift for your friends and family. This is go to check out Shop Venado. They got something just about for everybody. All right, especially their uh, flannel fleece. That is by far, I, I wear that thing a couple times a week. I have two of them um, and you will find me wearing one every week for sure, if not multiple times a week because they're just awesome. So, all right, with that, Sponsors are wrapped up. The Lone Wolf Custom Gear .5 Tree Stand Giveaway. I already announced it on social media, but I did open this up for all you people to who aren't on social to just email in. And actually, I got 380 applicants, 380 people entered to win the .5 giveaway, and 110 of them were just strictly from emails. That is awesome. That tells me that you guys that aren't on social media are writing in via email, and I really appreciate that. I'm glad that you guys aren't on socials. I don't think it's extremely healthy for uh, for our society, or at least the way it's working right now. It's not all that helpful for our society, but at the same time, there are a ton of people there, and in order for my brand to grow, I need to be there to get some advertising out there. All right, so with that, the winner of... The Lone Wolf Custom Gear 0.5 Tree Stand Giveaway. Uh, I picked five of those 380 applicants. I stuck all five of them to my archery target in my backyard. And on a piece of paper that I didn't know is totally random, I shot one of the pieces of paper. And it was a guy by the name of Riley Lowe. And Riley entered via Instagram. Uh, he's Riley in the Wild West. He's from Michigan. He hunts public and private ground out there. And he has won the 0.5 Tree Stand giveaway all right so thank you so much for everybody who entered riley if you're listening congratulations again on the on the tree stand giveaway and also it sounds like when i was talking with cody offline we're going to partner up for some other giveaways here in 2022 so please you know keep listening to the podcast we're going to get cody back on we're going to do some more giveaways um, and hopefully next year we'll have a couple ready for you guys right in September so you can start using them either in September or early October when your seasons open up. All right, so with that, jump into the podcast with Chris. Hope you guys enjoy this one. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vane Podcast. Today we got on Chris Hood. If you don't know Chris Hood, uh, Chris is uh, an avid outdoorsman, big buck killer, chases big bucks all over the place, does pretty well with the Elk 2 out west. Uh, and he's working, I don't, do you work with Matthews? Are you like on pro staff there, Chris, or how does that work? Yeah, I'm one of their, one of their, uh, I guess one of their first contract photographers, um, worked with them for, I don't know, seven, eight years now. Um, 
So it's a pretty good relationship with those guys. They're just down the road from me. Okay. About 30 miles away. So. Gotcha. Yeah. So Chris works with, with Matthews, uh, he's a photographer and his family also owns predator camo. So, um, that's a great Wisconsin, Wisconsin based company. They're out of lacrosse. Um, so yeah, got him on the horn today. He's got a really nice eight point down and um, working on another one or two in Minnesota. Do you get two tags in Minnesota, Chris? Uh, typically a one buck state, but uh, where we picked up a, a farm that was in the uh, southeast corner just across the river from lacrosse. And it's uh, unfortunately, it's a CWD zone. So they've um, issued issue three tags. And now they then they also issue more tags for these special holiday hunts as well. And I think you can actually, if you really wanted to, you could kill I think five bucks um, over there right now, which oh, obviously is uh, really unfortunate. I mean, Minnesota's done a lot of really good things to improve the the quality of the hunting over there. They you know had an antler point restriction, plus they were a, a one buck only state, so it it was you know we started seeing a lot more big deer coming, coming from over there and being the fact that we're only, I don't know, just across the river is, you know, 10 minute drive. Yeah. Um, we finally decided to, to, to find a, you know, find some ground over there. And then obviously we do that and there's this CWD scare over there and they want to eradicate everything. So, um, unfortunately, obviously landowners kind of control a lot of that and, you know, you're, they can, you know, choose to shoot shoot all the deer or they can, you know, just keep hunting the one buck a year type thing, which kind of is what most guys seem to be doing. But there's always a few here and there that want to try and fill every tag that you give them. So, yep. Yeah, I know those people. <laughs> um, and it all, yeah, I guess it depends on on what you're after for sure. But I know, you know, personally, like just my family alone, um, you know, two deer a year is really all we need to sustain ourselves. And, you know, that's a doe and a buck. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I'm owning property in multiple States and we were talking before the call and sounds like your Minnesota property that you're hunting is in a very high caliber buck area. So, um, so yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you're hoping to, you know, let them grow to six or seven years old and then, and then try to get them. But, uh, or at least that's what I would assume with the age class and the yeah, yeah. It's a it's just a, in general it's a really good area. Um, there's a lot of deer and there's a lot of really really good just genetics in general. And you know there's been multiple tourists that deer taken you know on properties just that we touch or are really close to. Um, so yeah, it's just one of those areas that you you just kind of you don't really want to shoot the, the first, you know, three, four year old that you see, because there are, there are definitely bigger ones out there and have the potential to, to you know, be that world-class type of deer. So um, we, we picked up that ground in September last year. So we kind of had it for two seasons, but obviously last year we didn't get to do any work or any food or anything the way we wanted to. So it's this year's kind of that first, first full go at it, but, um, the previous owners of the property we bought was, uh, you know, a brown is down kind of thing, and they shot a lot. And so it just kind of, it's going to take a few, you know, a couple, 
two, three years to kind of let that age structure immediately on us recover a bit. There's obviously some really good deer on some of the neighboring properties, and we've seen them, you know, during the rut and whatnot. But um, obviously, we, you know, we're focused. I was focused in Wisconsin more so this year than um, had a seven-year-old. Actually, I had a nine-year-old I was after on the main farm, and um, he went he went MIA in uh, like August 11th was the last photo I had of him, and don't really know what happened to him. Could have could have got hit by a car. Could have could have got poached. Could have just got a you know got sick and died. And don't really know. He was he was pretty old. So I mean, it's always just uh, got old and died kind of thing. Um, but once, yeah, once once he went MIA, and I mean, I really tried to hold out as long as I could, you know, fifth, you know, fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth of November to really try and see if, you know, maybe he'd pop back up on camera during the rut or something, but never really did. So, um, fortunately, on a on another farm um, just down the road, we had a a buck that I thought I thought was a six year old. Um, I had some friends try and actually I put you know I put a couple of friends on on that farm to try and kill that deer last year um thinking he was thinking he was five and was mature last year and um so you know but unfortunately nobody was able to close the deal on him and he was he was around again this year and he you know looked quite a bit bigger and you know I, th- I figured six and he, he was the you know I kind of made it my next best option to hunt this year and um played cat and mouse with him a little bit and you know once i laid eyes on him actually from a tree and kind of got a little bit better idea of what he was doing um and then made some adjustments hung some new stands and just kind of waited for the right wind and for the right you know for him to really kind of get get back in that area area after i you know obviously went in on the stand and kind of made some noise and stunk it up a little bit so hanging a stand and always, you know, make a little bit more noise than you really want to doing that. Um, and so, but I knew I had a, I had a photo shoot that I was going to be gone for a few days for. So I went and got that done. Um, and then let it sit, you know, for three, four days while I was out of town for, for a photo shoot. And then um, just kind of waited to, for the cameras to tell me he was back in the area um, and they kind of using that, that trial recorder that he had been using before. So, and as soon as I got got those photos and confirmation, you know, I went in that next, very next morning and and uh, he actually, I was expecting him a little bit later in the morning to show up, but he actually kind of came cruising through earlier than expected. <clears throat> but, and he kind of didn't quite do exactly what I had expected him to, but he was pretty much exactly what I was, planning on him doing and, and he he did exactly you know looped up around came back down behind me and the wind was perfect and he was moving downhill to go you know go go basically run through a really thick bedding area you know this is november 10th so it's getting to be you know the kind of the heart of the the rut where the a lot of the big boys are really going hard so yeah Oh, that's pretty cool. So, um, so breaking down that, that story a little bit, um, you had said that you kind of laid eyes on him 
and then you made some adjustments from there. What, uh, what were those, what were kind of those adjustments that you made based on what you saw? Well, it was, it was kind of twofold, right? So, um, two of the people that I had hunt, hunting on that, that farm last year, trying to, trying to hunt that deer, um, kind of just from their hunts, they kind of kept telling me where, where they were seeing a lot of the deer travel and, and, and they, you know, were, was unfortunately out of, out of bow range for them last year. And, you know, a couple of them were really only, only on a, had a couple of days to hunt. So we really didn't have a whole lot of time to make the adjustments then. Um, but based on that, and then, you know, I, I had, I had never personally really hunted that farm. So it was all new, you know, we only had a couple of sets up and, um, you know, it just takes time to start to figure out, you know, what the deer like to do on a, on a certain, certain area, you know, what their tendencies are. And, um, so after hearing those, you know, stories from the year before, plus actually sitting, sitting up on, you know, up on a, you know, good vantage point spot where I could see put a bid and kind of get a feel for what they're doing and actually saw laid eyes on this deer that I was hunting. And he did more or less what those, what those people told me last year, um, what the deer were doing. So just kind of based off of those, those two things, you know, my, my, my sighting of them, plus the information from the year before, I knew I needed to kind of move a stand either, either further back in the woods, kind of on the lower edge, lower rim of the, you know, the, of the ridge or kind of out this point and then kind of bring it back off the, off the, the ridge a little bit the other direction. And I ended up, ended up going with the one further out the point. Um, I figured it was a better, better pinch point. You know, I figured he was going to work his way out. And obviously when I went, went down to hang the set, I found, you know, a bunch of good, really good rubs and just a lot of really good sign that he, you know, definitely was a, a pretty main travel route. Um, for, for a good buck. I, you know, I didn't know for sure if it was him kind of figured it was, but wasn't 100% positive. Sure. Okay. So essentially taking that, <clears throat> taking that data from that information from last year and then verifying it for yourself this year and then going, okay, yep. That's what he did last year. That's what he's, that's what it looks like these deer are doing again this year. I'm sure this is <clears throat> probably how this farm just lays out and how the deer like to traverse this farm. So I need to get a stand exactly. over here. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we're, you know, for anybody listening, we're, we're in that, you know, Western, Western Wisconsin, bluff country, you know, Buffalo County, Treplo County area where you've got, you know, you got some big hills and, and just the topography, um, kind of manipulates the deer movement based off of that. And, um, so that was, I was hunting on a top on a ridge and, you know, there, you know, really wasn't a, a ton of really ton of options really after once you started getting up there and, and seeing how the deer were moving and what, you know, what the, what the movement was like and, you know, kind of where they were going and they were walking that ridge trying to catch you know, catching any scent coming up from the bottom, you know, if there's any deer, doe, hot does bedded down below down there, then he was coming back around, around the, the ridge, this point, 
and then coming back, going to loop back down and then run down, you know, through another really thick bedding area, which is actually where we had to drag him out after I shot him. And I can, you know, I'd never really been in there to, to that extent. And, you know, after we drag him, drug him through there, which was a pain in the, pain in the ass, um, I could see why, why they would, you know, be traversing that and going to, you know, try and get downwind of that thicket because it's definitely where, where does are going to hide during the rut. Gotcha. So, yeah. Okay. So then, um, then that makes a lot of sense, right? Just trying to catch those bucks cruising from, from bedding area to bedding area or kind of hot spot to hot spot. Did you, yep. when you set up that, that stand, that second stand site, did you base it on a specific wind direction and having the idea of a morning sit? Yeah, exactly that. It was, it was definitely going to be a, definitely going to be a morning sit. I knew, you know, obviously kind of where I was getting into that there's going to be some bedding really close by. So if I'm walking in trying to walk into that in the afternoon, you know, mid after midday or afternoon, you know, there's a good chance I'm going to kick up a bunch of deer. Whereas if I'm going there in the morning, they're not going to be in that general area because they're going to be down feeding or in different areas. Um, you know, typically lower, you know, Wisconsin for us, you know, they typically feed down in the evenings. Gotcha. Just hang out in the lower, lower areas and we're back up and bed up higher. And so, yeah, I mean, it was basically banking on a, on a, on a morning hunt and then, um, really needed any sort of west wind preferably with a little bit of north in it is what what ideally what we wanted but really any sort of west west wind you know straight west or a little bit northwest would would be ideal and that's you know fortunately what we had on 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 that morning um was a pretty pretty good west wind so nice Okay. Yeah. I guess that's something that I always, um, that I keep, that I try to keep in mind is like, just because you see a deer in a specific area and then you want to go get a stance set up for it. Um, it doesn't always mean like, that's like a really, uh, easily huntable area because, um, you could have, you could have a really difficult wind. Like you need some sort of Southeast wind or something like that. That's really rare. Or you yep. need a, or you need a very specific um, time frame for entry and exit. Like you can only enter this midday or something like that, because it's just difficult to get in and out of there. Yeah, and that's you know for us, for us, I you know, typically whenever I'm setting sets or looking at stand locations, I'm trying, I'm trying to usually always play something with mostly a west wind. You know, that's just whether it's a Southwest or Northwest, um, it was just more of a typical wind we tend to get definitely a little bit more Southwest in that late October, early November time frame as it starts getting into that, you know, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, we'll start to get, we'll start to get more, a little bit more North, North in that wind. Um, obviously it changes obviously with, you know, fronts and all that kind of stuff. And, but, you know, this is kind of how I try and lay out our farms and hang our sets are kind of mostly on that kind of 
that kind of a win, obviously I'll give myself a few options here and there for, you know, those other type of wins where they're the Southeast before, you know, East, anything East or Southeast with the, you know, before front type thing, um, or with weather coming and whatnot. Um, they give myself a couple of those options, but typically I like to try and hang our sets with a, a Southwest or South, South wind or, um, with a Northwest, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Those predominant winds are, are pretty important to, to keep in mind. Um, just so you get a higher odds of being able to hunt those areas, right. Without spooking the deer out. Correct. Um, yeah. Okay. And, then, and then the other thing, the other thing for us too is, you know, and then for anybody else who's hunting, hunting in hill country and, you know, in the bluffs kind of where we are or where I am, um, the other thing you got to kind of pay attention to is you got thermals almost, you know, thermals like you'd have like your elk hunting out West where once, once the, the air warms up in the morning, you're going to have, you're going to have wind currents that start start to rise up these, these hills, which now creates a different kind of wind than you typically used to in a, you know, just normal flat, flat area. Right. Right. So, and then the same thing in the evenings, you're going to, your wind's going to cool off and it's going to drop down. You know, it's typically like you'll see a lot of times if you're hunting a field that's got a little bit of a lower area, there's a lot of, there's a big time. And a lot of times the deer are going to come out right in that low spot because the wind is following that, falling down that field to them. So they can send check that whole field before they come out to it, you know, by coming in that low area. And that's the same thing for in the hills with those thermals in the morning, those bucks, you know, if it's, let's just say there's a, you know, you're hunting a, a ridge that runs north and south and you've got a, a west wind. Well, that wind is going to be kind of blowing and hitting that, that ridge and kind of falling over that ridge. Well, that deer can walk on the, on the, um, would be the east side of the ridge and can get that wind from the west, but then he can also get the wind coming up the, the hill from, from the east. So he's almost walking in like a little bit of a wind tunnel and he can catch wind on both sides. So you got to kind of, you know, in the hill country, that's where it gets tough because these bucks, these mature bucks, they know how to, how to maneuver these hills where they, they've got the wind in their advantage most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I personally have had a, a lot of failures with that <laughs> as of, as of late. And I haven't, I don't know if you know this, Chris, but we have, uh, we have lands land south of lacrosse. So, um, we're in, we're in Iowa County, um, kind of just over the border there, Richland center area like that. Okay. Um, Yep. So yeah, I've been, I've been fighting that, uh, the last couple of years we got property there three years ago. So I've been fighting that the last few years. and, And this year was a real, a real lesson for me. I thought I could hunt the bottoms and I figured out a way to beat the swirling winds and I kind of do, but man, they just, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I got busted a few times, um, from deer that were seeming seemingly totally upwind of me and they shouldn't have been able to smell me. And there they are looking straight at me at 60 yards. Right. So yeah, that, that <laughs> happens more times than not. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the other things you mentioned was that you thought that buck was going to come through later in the morning. Why do you, why do you say that? Uh, just, just based on, you know, based on the, from the photos I've gotten earlier, 
you know, the previous couple of days when I was working. Um, and then, and then just kind of typically just kind of, you know, being this up, uh, up high ridge, you know, just kind of how I, you know, know that the, the deer movement is on a lot of these ridges. A lot of times it takes, it takes a couple, you know, hour or two or, you know, hour and a half, two and a half hours before these deer to slowly work their way up out of the, the fields from in the morning, you know, whether feeding or, or whatever they're doing in the bottoms, it just takes some time to work their way up to the, these ridges. And so typically, you know, those ridge hunts usually don't really get a lot of activity or, or action until, you know, a couple hours into the hunt. So okay. that's kind of what I was basing, basing that on. And, uh, you know, was kind of expecting them to, you know, it was, it was after time change. So it was, would have been like, I was figuring, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock, you know, the 8.30, 9.30 timeframe for where I might have a, you know, a sighting. And he showed up right before eight. So it was a bit earlier than I expected. Yeah. Interesting. So I, I didn't, you know, I haven't really experienced that, but you're saying that mid morning is, has been really popular for you um, during that rut time frame. Yeah. Just on the, on our, on the midges and stuff, you know, that's yeah. just for, for us, it's just, that's what I've seen over the years. It's, it's never I mean, of course, you can go into an area and there could be a hot dough right there. They could, they could be <laughs> running that ridge all morning long. Right. But just kind of just normal, just normal feeding and, and that kind of stuff. It definitely seems to be a little bit more of a later, late morning kind of a time frame for, for those higher ridge type top, top hunting spots for us anyway. Gotcha. Yeah. So, Okay. And that, and that, I mean, that would make sense based on, you know, like you're saying, those deer kind of working their way up and, and those bucks just taking their time. I mean, when I, I've been in a couple scenarios where the, the bucks, like they can't smell me, but you can literally sit there and watch them at like 70 yards and they take three steps every 10 minutes, you know, and they just stand there. And look around. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They just like, yeah, they, they're super cautious, man. They, those, some of those deer that, but they don't just yeah they don't they don't move much and they they just work slow and they're no in no hurry and sit there and graze on acorns or whatever it may be the whole time that whole time and just very cautious with every step they make you know yeah yeah and and, and that and I mean that would make sense why they're why you know if they're moving up those ridges maybe they'll like you know how elk like to wait for that thermal to switch or they'll they'll wait to move certain areas and i'm sure those bucks do the yep. same thing um one of the things that that i have had a, a little bit of pushback on the socials from is essentially just uh that there is no pattern during the rut and everything's pure chaos and nothing's uh really set but based on what you're telling me sounds like you know the deer like to use that area and you saw that buck use that area and so you went back in there and he was kind of following a very similar pattern is that did i hear that right yeah I'm, yeah i mean I, I think i was pretty i think i was pretty dialed into kind of where this this particular buck called home you know where it was kind of his bedroom i was getting close to you know that thick thick area that was just down below me um I think that was, I think that was where his bedroom was. And I think he was going back to bed, um, that morning. I, I can't be a hundred percent sure, but I'm 
Yeah, I, I, I would say I, I would give it an 80% chance that that was what he was going to do. Um, so if you got, obviously, if you can figure that out, that helps. But then also, I was hunting, you know, above a really thick, crazy bedding area where, you know, bucks are going to, you know, they're, they may not run it every day, but they're going to, they're going to go looking in those areas for does. So, I mean, there may not be a rhyme or reason, but they're, they're going to at some point, you know, and so if you can focus and, and key in under those types of thick bedding areas where, where they like to, uh, those does may go hide and try and get away from, from the bucks, you know, where they can, because they get harassed. I mean, I mean, how many times have you walked, walked by a doe during the rut and she, she won't run away because she's sick of being chased. Like she, she's <laughs> over it. Right. She doesn't want to move. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You get pretty close to them during that time frame, but they're not what you're looking yeah. for. Also, it seems no. like the majority of my doe opportunities throughout the year come during the rut. Now that you say that, and you're just like, well, you're getting right. the pass today. Cause I'm hoping your boyfriend's chasing you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Awesome. And, and that was a nice, you said, I mean, you were thinking he was six years old. Was he six years old? So, so no, so I thought, I thought that's where I thought he was, you know, this was a, again, it's a, a new piece of uh, new ground that we picked up, you know, about three years ago now. And so I didn't have, I didn't have all the history that I would typically have, you know, like I do on, on our main farm, but, um, you know, just going off a couple of years of photos and whatnot and just kind of figuring, you know, assuming he was five the year before and, you know, just giving my best guess. And I mean, I knew he was a mature deer. I mean, the photos this, this year of him, you know, big old pot belly, just, you know, just, it was just, you could just tell he's an old deer and super heavy, massive antlers. Um, nice. You know, just very, very indicative of, of, of an old deer, you know, and, um, and then after I, after I shot him, a neighbor kid, um, that, you know, follows me on, on, uh, Instagram reached out to me and, um, he had had photos of that deer dating back all the way to maybe 15 or 2016 or something. And, um, I can't remember exactly what it is offhand, but, um, they would put the deer at, at seven years old, um, oh, based on that. And so, you know, that was kind of a cool, cool thing to, to figure out and um you know a lot of guys a lot of diehard guys um that shed hunt and um even just guys that are you know hunted big 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 deer you know a lot of guys say that the peak peak is seven years old so you know the, the a lot of the world record sheds that are found are are all from seven-year-old deer you know same thing with you know just guys some guys that have killed giant deer they tend to be in that that age that age seven years old so yeah i mean this and this buck is a really nice eight point with a ton of mass i mean just thick um yeah clear. he was yeah he was super super heavy you know probably i think he scored at about just under 150 like 149 so for, yeah. for a mainframe eight that's a pretty good eight and he yeah. wasn't very wide right yeah, I'll, I'll say that's a really dang, dang good eight, you know? Yeah. So if you guys don't, if you guys want to look at this buck, uh, it is Chris J hood on Instagram. Um, check that out. I mean, is this buck's mainframe eight, uh, there's maybe a kicker or two, 
and uh, he's got some really nice G2s on him that are pretty thick. Yeah. yeah. His, his left his left main beam was 27 inches. <sighs> yeah. So, That's a big one. Definitely, definitely one of the longest main beams. Uh, yeah. Off a deer that I've ever killed. So. Yeah, and you killed him with the new V3X too. I did. I did. That was actually yeah. It was actually my first. My first kill of the year with that bow. Um, I didn't, unfortunately, didn't have it um, for my elk hunt this this fall, but uh, got it. Got back from that and got dialed in with it, and, and it's a, a pretty incredible shooting bow. And you know, there's not a ton of changes over last year's model um, as far as the shooting and the, the you know, a lot of that stuff, but all of the other, you know, the the um, sight setup and the quiver running running super close to the riser and then also move things you know that make that bow i think just even more dialed in and you know even closer to that ultimate bow um i'm, I'm super impressed with it so far so yeah that's awesome yeah it's a bow i haven't shot the i haven't shot it yet um haven't snuck out to the dealer for that but I have, I've talked to a couple people who, who've, who've run them this year and uh, yeah, they've all said they're awesome, which I mean, it's <laughs> really, it's what do you expect from, from a company like Matthews anymore? Like for their flagship bow, right. like, in fact, you expect it to be awesome and it's, and it's better than last year. And that's, that's awesome to hear. There's only been a, of a hand, not even a handful of times I can ever say anybody said, yeah, the new bow this year from X company sucks. <laughs> like for right. the most part right they improve every year but that's awesome so cool well that's a great that's a that's a that's a good story um i appreciate that the anecdote on that chris because it tells you a little bit about patterning deer during the rut plus that ridge uh ridge top versus ridge bottom scenario do you ever try to hunt the bottoms or are you mainly always on like the ridge sides or the tops well, so like our 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 main farm, the you know that we, my dad bought back in '87, um, is mostly we don't really have top access. Uh, we have we can get up on some of the ridges, but we have to kind of go through quite a bit of the woods to get there. Uh, we really don't do that until it's go time, until usually like you know the last couple of days of October, the first few days of November, um, gotcha. or even. Or even later, we may even wait till that, you know, fourth, fifth, or sixth type time frame to get up there. Um, so that that you know that farm is based and dialed in mostly for hunting bottoms and and a couple pinch points here and there, and um, really dialed in for food and hunting on food. So early season, late season, um, you know, we we definitely leave we'll leave probably the most food in the entire neighborhood. You know, we're probably leaving close to 20 acres of food um, to keep the deer healthy and obviously to attract them, you know, give us a chance late season if we haven't run across the deer we've been hunting during the during the year. But uh, with that, you know, we typically are hunting a lot on the bottoms. So, you know, really just dial the ridges in for that peak, you know, week, week and a half during the rut, you know, but now that you know these other two new farms we picked up are both both have top access so 
it kind of changes that a little bit for us where we can kind of go do go hunt those spots before um, before it's really that peak one week or one and a half week time frame where we want to get up on our ridges on the other other farm you know sure yeah and that's a great that's a great lead-in um and the well the reason i asked about the bottoms was just because i've i've experienced um a lot of swirling winds in those bottoms um and i was curious if you found a a way to defeat them or mitigate them or work around them at all yeah yeah i mean that's that's the, the tough part about on the, the country that that we are right it's the the wind is never doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing you know right. you go into a valley and it, you go into a valley and it's supposed to be a you're blowing you know going south or southwest but it's hitting that one side of the ridge and it wraps all around the back side of the bowl and it's blowing north out of the valley on the other side like it's just it just takes it just takes a long time to figure all that out and to figure out what what wind is you know actually going to do and exactly where you're where you're trying to hunt and you know with that too though is the thing you know think about it is is you don't necessarily always want a wind that's going to be you know, completely blown away from where you're expecting deer activity to be. A lot of times, bucks aren't going to come into you that way. They're always, you kind of want to hunt almost a quarter, a quartering wind that's going to be, they're going to be getting almost to a point where they may bust you, you know, because they, they're they able to kind of scent check most of what they're coming into then, you know, so you if you can set up your, your, your hunt, your stands, where they're going to be just off of those just out of their range just a little bit but it's the point where it could be questionable that's that's kind of what you want okay yeah and i've i've heard that before that's like that that dane that's kind of dangerous it's kind of risky but it's also one of those scenarios where that buck thinks he has the wind in his favor the whole way and really he's just ever so slightly out of your scent cone so that he, he feels right. safe, he feels protected, he's willing to to move through that area in daylight. Um, but he's just, but you figured out just a little bit more than he has. Um, yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, and, and you're, you're gambling with it too. I mean, you obviously yeah. can run the risk of getting winded, getting winded and whatnot. And I mean, I that, that deer that I was expecting to hunt this year, the nine-year-old, I had that deer pattern figured out to a T when he was, when he was, uh, I think five, you know, using the same trail over a ridge every night, and every night he was getting earlier and earlier and earlier, until and this was all, you know, in September, early October. Now, every night, a little bit earlier, a little bit earlier, until finally, end of end of October, he started crossing that ridge in daylight. And I'm like, all right, now's my time. I gotta go. I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna hunt a marginal a little bit of a marginal win, you know, cause he's going to come up that ridge and he's going to cross right there. And I went up and hunted it and the wind was not quite exactly what I thought it was. I should have bailed and got out of there right away. Once I figured out it wasn't doing what I expected, I was kind of hoping maybe the wind would die down and thermals would take over or whatever. Um, but that deer, that deer never showed that night. 
and he never then he stopped using that trail for three months no shit after so i mean i can't say 100 percent sure that he caught my win but I, I would be willing to bet that he caught my win and he stopped using that trail for three months he didn't use that trail again coming up over that ridge until january when the season was over oh my gosh that's wild that's interesting um i hear that that is i mean i i people people will say like you some some deer you only get to spook them once and then you ain't gonna see them again and other deer you can spook multiple times and they'll still come around and he must have been one of those that he was not interested in getting hunted yeah i mean clearly right i mean he made it yeah. he made it to nine and a half years old so yeah. I mean, he was obviously a, a very very cautious cagey old buck like he just yeah. He, he wasn't, he was one of those deer that just, you know, if something wasn't right, he wasn't going to even mess with it. He was going to go the other way, you know, yeah. for, I had that, that deer in whatever, I guess four, four seasons of actually hunting him. Well, even five, if he caught four years old, I never even, I never had him in bow range as a four-year-old. Um, I think I only had him in bow range three times over five years. Dang. Yeah. And especially I mean, just, if you know he's there and you know the farm and you know the area. Yeah, it's just oh, that deer would that bugs. deer would drive me absolutely nuts. <laughs> oh man, I bet. Um, do you take into account the marginal wind on your entry and exit route for those scenarios? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on exactly where, where I'm going, like where I'm going to be and, and what I'm, what I'm trying to hunt, you know, it, you know, it, it, a lot of times, you know, depending on where they're, you know, where I think they're bedded, you know, I, obviously I'm trying to not let my wind blow into those areas where I'm expecting them to, to be bedded or where they're going to be coming from. Um, but a lot of times when we're hunting the bottoms and the hills, by the time, by the time deer start moving, a lot of times that that wind is kind of laying down a bit, and you start to you've got those thermals now dropping. So a lot of that that, that wind and that scent is, is dropping down into the bottoms, you know. So you gotta it's it's, it's definitely one of those things where you got to be a little bit cautious and tricky. It's a little tricky as as far as that goes, and. Um, but yeah, we're definitely trying to trying to trying to for sure when we're going in and where we're winds get blowing and all that kind of stuff before where we're hunting and all that. But not as quite not quite as much when we get out just because you know for our farm with the, all the food and the, the the way the way it is. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna spook deer out of the out of the fields when we get out of the tree anyway. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. Gotcha. So how does that? I mean. How does, does that play into how you hunt that? Or do you just go, well, it's, it's just going to happen. It is what it is. And hopefully they come back tomorrow night or what have you guys noticed? Over well, the you know, and for, for that, that, you know, that for that typically we're now we're talking kind of early season, late season stuff. And, yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, it does, it definitely, you're definitely, you know, you're trying to hunt the food and you're trying to, obviously hunt the best the best winds the best conditions you know whether it be high pressure or you know um 
you know, just cold temps, whatever, whatever it may be, just you're trying to pick your nights. We're obviously not trying to be out there every single night just because that constant pressure in there every night is there's they're not going to come in until after dark. So that's why you, you know, you kind of got as days, you know, your best days to go in and hunt and then kind of give it a break. Um, you know, even if, even if there's another valley, another spot you can go on those other days, um, just, or just not even hunt at all. I mean, that that's half the battle sometimes is just knowing exactly when to be in there and when not to be. Sure. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And being very selective about when you're out there. So your odds of killing deer are, are very high. Um, if you're going to risk spooking a bunch when you get out, that, that makes a lot of sense. Just picking and choosing. Um, so yeah, tying into, tying into late season. Um, I know. So Chris is on the road right now. Chris, where are you heading? I'm headed to, uh, Howell, Michigan right now. Um, got a photo shoot for, for Winnebago here the next few days. Um, so unfortunately I had that, got a couple hunting, a couple hunting over the weekend. Um, but gotta, gotta take a break, go work and then hopefully get back and get a couple, couple of sits in later this week and into the weekend. So. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if you were going on a hunt or, or what I was hoping you were going on a hunt, but you know, work, work and actually making money so that you can continue to do what you do. I guess that's fair too. Yeah. I guess someone's got to pay the bills, right? <laughs> right. So, um, okay. So, uh, yeah, so you're on your way uh, up North, but, um, we were talking, we were to what we were talking late season. I, there was a really good transition there for me to just shift over to late season. And I totally butchered it, <laughs> but I mean, we were talking, it's all good. talking late season and you had, um, and that's what all of us are in right now. Um, if we haven't filled tags or we have more tags to fill and we're trying to get them done. Um, you mentioned that you, you guys leave 20 acres of food up. I know on your Instagram story over in Minnesota, you had some food up is okay tell me about your your strategy here for late season yeah i mean obviously we need a lot of food you know just to try and keep the deer healthy and you know just to you know help them survive the winter and all that kind of stuff but uh obviously we do it as well too so if we're you know have a tag still left to be filled that we've got a chance to hunt on some in the late season um like i've got a minnesota tag still that hasn't been filled um so there's there's one or two bucks in particular over there that i'm trying to hunt um there's a lot of deer um and that creates a problem late season when you get that many deer around you on food sources you know you're you know at some point you're probably going to get winded um it just depends on whether or not you know they blow the field completely or if they just are nervous enough and work away and work around you or whatever. Um, you know, and that we're, we look, you know, that Minnesota piece we left, I don't know, probably, I don't know, five, five to eight acres, maybe of corn. Um, and then we did a bunch of, um, a big food plot in the back with turnips and brassicas and, um, sugar beets and all that stuff. And those deer have been actually hammering that stuff really hard right now. But then, but they don't stay in it. They're, you know, they're, you know, naturally want to graze, move and graze. And so they they work their way out into the corn then and then 
they're working their way just all the way through the cornfield and you know i've got a tower blind kind of set up out in the middle of that cornfield and then you know they, they usually end up filtering by me um at some point and that's all i'm kind of doing is just kind of hunting the food and just kind of you know trying to you know let them do their natural thing and and work their way by me and obviously being able to be in a tower blind helps tremendously with the wind um yeah. you know I'm, if they still get close and get directly downwind they may still catch a little bit of wind but you know those those you know we've been using these gri- the grizzly blinds and they are freaking awesome for for late season hunts hmm. and marginal winds too gotcha yeah, I've never I've seen those Grizzly because Grizzly makes coolers as well, right? Same company. Yep. Yep. Same yeah. company. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I've seen those. I've seen a few people use those. I uh, I haven't heard anybody talk about them, so that's that's interesting. It's something that we're looking to look, looking to buy and put up on our property. One or two of them. Um, I know they're not cheap. Yeah. But um. No, they're not cheap. But you know, you know, I've been obviously around in the industry for a long time, and I think they're. Their head and shoulders by you know by far the, the best hard sided blind on the market. You know, the, the windows, the friction, they got like these friction windows that you just lift up and they'll stay up. You don't have to clip them or do anything. Um, and they're they're wider, bigger windows. And then um, the other the other big thing with hard sided blinds too is um, the floors on a lot of those blinds, you know whether it be muddies or rednecks or whatever, they're usually still just a plywood floor. Well, after sitting out in the woods and the weather for years, the floors end up rotting out and going bad. Well, the grizzly blind is all plastic. All that same as their coolers, that roto-molded type plastic, and they're not going to go bad. So these things should should last you for freaking ever. Um, at least that's that's our hope, and that's that's kind of why we've been using these switch to these blinds because they they really are pretty awesome, you know, from the windows and everything else, and then just from the longevity standpoint, they should they should last for a long time. Gotcha. Ah, good to hear. So the I guess the main the main takeaways from that for for your late season is is get to the food, um, find a good setup whether it's blind or stand or what have you, and and essentially you know, you need to just wait it out and hunt those. You mentioned earlier, those very specific conditions with good opportunity, assuming that you have an area where you might blow out deer. I know that's something for, for a lot of people who hunt those field edges, even out of, you know, traditional tree stands or ladder stands, what have you, is that, you know, as you're getting out of that stand with essentially no cover around you, or maybe you have a little bit of cover, it's really easy for those deer to pick your movement off. Um, so, so I guess that would make uh, a great case for being very selective about the evenings you hunt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, this is, you know, the, the hard side of blind thing is, is relatively new for us. Um, as well, we, we've always hunted, you know, tree stands and on the edges of food and you're, you know, the deer, they're going to, they're going to come out differently into the food, access it from different spots based on, you know, where the wind is, where they bedded up the night before. And it's never, never exactly the same as the night before. Um, and they're going to, they, they need to, you know, if it's cold and 
you know, they need to feed, right? So they're going to come to feed. Uh, you just hope that the conditions are right to make them come early enough. Um, and then obviously they, and then you don't, they're hill where there's not a hundred eyeballs out there where you're trying to, trying to, you know, pick up your bow or stand up and draw your bow or whatever it may be. Right. You yeah. Know, that's so yeah. That, I was going to say too, is, you know, if, if you don't have, if you happen to have a, a farm that you don't have food on it, but if you can figure out where they're going to food, if there's, if there's a way you can get between them where they bed in the food, that's a great place to try and pick them off in between, in between something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a piece of uh, a public that I hunt. Um, and it is, it's that exact setup is like, there's this sliver of public that's probably like 40 yards or 50 yards wide. And it separates this really thick piece of private that's not hunted and the egg field, the neighbor's egg field. So you can slip in there and every, every late season, that spot becomes dynamite with tracks because, uh, and, and deer in general, because they all push into there because there's no pressure and it's still really thick. And then they just kind of funnel through that piece of public. And I've had a few opportunities in there, um, but I've never, have never pulled the trigger in there, but it's worked out exactly how I had, had I had hoped it would. Um, yeah. I mean, you can kind of get, um, you can kind of get uh, get them figured out as to where they like to bed and, you know, on a certain type of wind and, you know, how you can use that to your advantage. You know, if they like to bed over on this certain spot on a, on a west wind because they can get all that, you know, scent while they're sitting there in their beds and before they get up and work their way back to the food or wherever, you know, that's a great way to, you know, start, start monitoring, you know, why they go bed to this certain spot on a certain wind, you know, is that guarantee there's most likely a reason for them as to why they do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So I guess for the late season, um, if people are hunting kind of a, a new area or this is their first real, real late season that they're focused on, you know, they've, they've always filled their tag during the rut or something and they're trying to grind it out. Do you have any advice for uh, people looking to capitalize here in the next couple months? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, you're, you know, food sources, and then you're, you know, looking trying to capitalize on on the the weather when it's when it's the, the optimal conditions. Obviously, the colder the better. Um, you know, high pressure type days, um, days. A lot of times, you know, if there's a big front coming, usually there's a lot of. I've always seen a lot of good a lot of good action on the night before front, you know, cause they know okay. a storm's coming and they, and they know, they know it, uh, they know there's a pressure change coming and the weather change coming and they know, they don't know how long that may last. Right. So it could be a, a short storm. It could be a long storm. So, but usually because of that, they, they get up and feed because they don't know how long it might be before they can get up and feed again. So, that's always something I try and take advantage of, you know, the night before a, a front coming through um, tends to be a, usually a pretty good night. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. No, that's great. Most people always say that the night after a front, the evening after it ends, but. Before... Well, yeah. Same, same thing, right. Same thing too, is if they've been during, cause they usually don't during a storm during a front, they don't usually get up and move around a lot. Cause they just, you know, winds are swirling and 
so they they can't see or whatever it may be, right? You know, just they're they're a little bit little bit uh, defenseless. So yeah, before and after for sure. Um, okay. Great times. Yeah. No, I like I like the idea that you had or that your thought process behind the before, because that's always a a question that plagues. You know, if if someone's looking at their calendar. And, uh, you know, they're fighting like, okay, I can either hunt before this hunt or after, or before this front or after this hunt front. Um, you're saying it's, it's certainly a good option as well in the late season to hunt before, because the deer just don't know how long the snowstorm is going to last. So they want to throw that feed bag on so they can, you know, wait it out for a day or two, if it's pretty nasty. Um, exactly. Yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's a great, great perspective that I haven't heard on the, the podcast before. Um, what, so then you said, um, food sources and, and optimal weather conditions. What are, what are your favorite food sources to target late season? Like, what are you looking for? Um, I mean, the number one thing always is for us in the upper Midwest always seems to be beans. Um, they just always, they always get hit first. Um, okay. it, it's got a lot of, a lot of energy, a lot of protein, um, helps them pack the pounds back on after, after the rut. Um, it always seems to be what they go for first. Um, but I tell you what, the seeing, you know, this, this year with, you know, we had some bean fields that, that the deer hammered pretty hard early. Um, and they did the beans didn't get, get a chance to grow as well as they, they should have. So I went out and broadcasted, uh, you know, a mix of stuff in, you know, brassicas and sugar beets and, um, you know, ryegrass and all sorts of stuff in a mix just out into the, into those bean fields. And that stuff took pretty well. And, and the deer have been, you know, in, in there just going to town on those turnips and sugar beets and stuff. Um, you know, it depends on, you know, for if you're lower, further south, you know, like I was in Kansas a couple of weeks ago. This time of year, it always seems like Kansas, that area, you know, even Nebraska, um, seems like, a, you know, oats and, and winter wheat do incredibly well down there, you know, because it's one of the only green things that they've got down there. And I've got a buddy who just, you know, recently bought a 200 acre piece down in Kansas and he went, he went crazy on the brassicas and the turnips and sugar beets and all that stuff. And he doesn't have a damn deer in it, in his food plot. And the food <laughs> plot looks amazing. Food plot looks like, you know, like you, the turnips and the, everything looks like you'd be on a cover for, on a magazine, you know, it's like they're huge, yeah. but, but they're not getting the cold, cold enough weather to, to make the deer want to eat those. Right. So huh. by the time that, by the time that he, they get that weather um, in Kansas, it might not be till February. You know, so he's going to feed them. I'm sure they'll eat it at some point, but it's not doing him any good with that. He'd, he'd do a lot better with more oats and winter wheat, I think, on his property, you know, because that's where the deer this time of year seem to be going like crazy. You know, the alfalfa a little bit, but that's kind of even coming to its end where he's at. So interesting. Yeah, that is. So that's my, so the neighbor above me, not, I shouldn't say above me to the North of me. Um, we have a hundred acres and it's, we got 25 acres of tillable, but it's all, all picked and bailed. Um, but, uh, the neighbor to my North has, he stripped 
he plants everything in strips, you know, 10, 20 yard wide strips. Um, and this year to break up some of the ground, he planted some, a bunch of radishes in those strips that butt up yeah. against our property. So I have, so I went out and, and bought some cell cams this year and I got those set up and it's been cold, but you know, you're, you're out of lacrosse. I'm out of uh, the Madison area and um, it just hasn't, it hasn't been cold enough to really, the cell cams have not been firing off like I expected. I expected them to start going here soon, but we're just kind of finishing up gun season, finishing up that antlerless season. Um, and hopefully over the next few weeks, we get some real nice cold weather and they start pounding those, those radishes. Yeah. I'm and it's, unfortunately, it looks like this week, we're going to get a couple of days of 60 degree weather. So that's yeah. not going to help. I know it looks terrible. I was like, what is this nonsense? You know, I might as well go walleye fishing shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, but yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's great insight. You know, depending on where you're at, um those radishes yeah i mean that's, that's the thing is like you know it, that's the thing is that you can kind of you know if you if you, you get to manipulate your property that way knowing what kind of food source at what time of the year is going to be attractive you know you can kind of design design your property to you know match up with the winds it should be getting that time of year and the food that they should be eating that time of year and like, you know, if you're going to set up a box blind and get to set it up, you know, for that, you know, this late season type of year, you know, if you've got those sugar beets or, or you know, whatever turnips that are going to be late, you know, they may be in there. Or, you know, if you've got a bean field, like, that you can fence off and, you know, let you fence it off and keep the deer out of it until, you know, until basically after the rut then they're going to come in and hammer those beans and you're you're dialed in ready to hunt them you know yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense um and that would be that's why those people put up those electric fences over the summer right so that all that yep. all that stuff stays for the winter and they can really get that late season going well i mean um, there's in the summertime there's it's the deer love to eat the beans in the summer because it's yeah they're they're great right you know and they got a ton of moisture in them and they're, they're just a great thing to eat, but same time they're eating their November food source when they should should be eating something else. You know, there's a there's a ton of other stuff they can eat in freaking August. You know, that they August and September. Let them, you know, force them to go go feed on other stuff. You know, fence, yeah. fence those beans off and keep them out of there. Right. There's enough browse elsewhere. There's enough green that they can go eat something else and still be pretty healthy. Exactly. Yeah. All right, man. Well, Hey, Chris, I know you're, I know you're almost to your destination. Um, I, I really appreciate the time. I know we've gone back and back and forth, uh, today and yesterday trying to figure something out. Um, so I'm glad we, we could connect. Uh, if people want to find you, talk to you, ask you any more questions or anything, what's the best place to do that? Yeah. My Instagram man is, uh, just Chris J. Hood. Um, shoot me a message if you want, uh, if you got questions or whatever, I'm always, always willing to answer them that's yeah you know, there's i always try to answer every dm i get so awesome yeah that's really appreciate that i know you answered mine <laughs> so yeah right. i really appreciate that and it's always it's always nice to to be able to get that response so 
All right, everyone. Yep. If you enjoyed Chris, you enjoyed the conversation. I mean, he's got some great deer on the wall, got some great elk. Um, and, uh, and if you want to help him, help him with his cabin at all, we didn't even get into that. But if you check out his Instagram, there is pretty, pretty rough year this year. Cabin went up in flames, man, that, that sucks. Yeah. It's just um, super, super, uh, raw deal there, you know, cabin. Yeah. 20, 25 years with probably over 50 plus mounts in it, you know, that everything that I'd ever shot basically was on those walls. So um, definitely wouldn't wish it on my worst, worst enemy. That uh, definitely sucked. But uh, the good news was that nobody was in there when it went, when it went up. So nobody got hurt. That's all that matters. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, working that's, on the rebuild, working on the rebuild, and working on filming, filming the walls again. So yeah, yeah, it's like that new adventure. You're starting over, man. But yeah, yeah wish you, wish you the best in that. Um, again, uh, appreciate the time, everybody. Go take a look at Chris's Instagram. Hit him up. And uh, until next time, if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Uh, please leave me a review if you get if you get a minute. Really appreciate that as well. And uh, Catch you guys next time.